a once-in-a-lifetime. You need to never stop improving. The constant focus on individual growth. How will you be financially free? Welcome to the Empower Podcast. All right, guys, I'm super, super stoked for today's episode. We have Dave Gardner on with Caliber Wealth. Uh, This is a group that I use actually to manage my money. And Dave's been phenomenal. I've worked with him the last two years. I actually had some money with a different group down the street from Dave and then uh, had some money with Dave, had some money with this other group. And Dave outperformed them, so I shifted everything over. And and it's been awesome. Every every time we've met, it's just been an amazing experience. And uh, just really like Dave is an individual and a human being besides the business aspects. So today we're going to be going through stocks, money, investment, compounding interest, time, all these topics. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Brandon. Hey, listen, there, we have done this now for 18 years and there is, uh, groups that we've been flown out to, to visit with. And I got to say that your team and the individuals that we've met with afterwards, I think are far more prepared and actually great people as well, more so than anywhere that we've met. We also handle about 10,000 employees from the 401k standpoint. So we meet with a lot of people and what you're doing here and what you do for your teams, I think is absolutely phenomenal. That's awesome. So That's hopefully so cool to hear. everybody is learning each one of these episodes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. We didn't have a whole lot of time to sync before this, but the, our two whys of the company is financial freedom and individual growth. And so we're kind of backwards on most of the door-to-door industry where instead of teaching guys to spend their money in flex and, you know, on cars or whatever, it's save as much as you can and invest as much as you can so that you can get financial freedom a lot quicker so that you can actually leave. Yeah. And I know it sounds crazy to say, but we do want our people to leave because we look at them as individuals instead of, you know, just like captive slaves working for a company or something. Yeah, man, if you take that approach and you're able to (laughs) execute, you'll be successful. So this has to do with financial freedom, and that's why I'm so excited about this. This is a subject I'm very passionate about. So first of all, before we jump into it, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Yeah, I think the background is actually more important to the business model than what a lot of people realize. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of financial advisors or investment managers. So I think the background is extremely important so that you guys can kind of understand our approach to investing and our approach to people. Um, So I started my career right at Merrill Lynch in Provo. So the idea was I started school, wanted to study finance, always loved finance, thought it would give me enough opportunity that I could go find something to do. And during um, during those years at school, I really fell in love with the investment management side of things. In fact, there was a class um, that I actually got a a D-plus in that I was really irritated about just simply because the professor didn't agree with me on my outlook of Questar Gas and, you know, where I thought the company was going. So you had to do do five years worth of historical information, gather all of the revenue, you know, all of the net income information. What class was this for? It was, uh, I just remember the teacher's name, Sudweeks, because it irritated me so bad that (laughs) I did so much work and it sucked. So um, I think it was actually personal finance and and investing is what the name of the class is called. So then you had to forecast three years into the future of what you thought was going to happen with the company. Well, I went so far as to actually go up and interview the CFO of Questar, and that's what got me like really engaged. I was like, dude, these guys will give you information. And then he pointed out all the stuff that you could read publicly about the company because it, you know, it's a publicly traded company. Yeah. So as I did that, then what we had to do is present back to the teacher what we thought was going to happen with the stock. So during that presentation, you know, the teacher and I just completely disagreed about what was going to happen with the stock. And the reason that I fell in love with this is because I was right and he was wrong. <laughs> so I actually emailed him about four years after that when I found that little packet just to and, say, and look, just said, listen, yeah. this is where the stock's at, bro. Yeah. But the idea behind it of doing the research and actually then taking that research and applying it into people's lives is, is what I fell in love with. The problem is the industry. 
So the industry isn't set up similar to your industry. I'm just going to call a few yeah, no, of these out just straight so you, up. Yeah. you guys know I, I've worked with a lot of these companies, a lot of solar companies, a lot of pest control companies, uh, alarm sales. It's been a long time. And most of these companies are grind it through, right? Gather as many people as you can, grind people down, um, see how, how big you can get the revenue. And then the, the, the leadership at the top kind of you know, benefits from this. And that mentality is go buy the $80,000 truck so that you can recruit everybody else and they can all have an $80,000 truck. Well, the problem with that is it's kind of a, a, a little bit of a me first. And that's the exact same way the financial industry is set up. So the financial industry is set up for the financial advisor to have success. Why? Because it's very, very difficult to build this business. It's difficult to go out. I'll give you a real personal example. So I graduated in 2004. And of course, the first people you go to to say, hey, listen, I'm graduated. I got a job at Merrill Lynch. I'm now a financial advisor. I've passed all of these security license tests. I've passed my certified financial planning test. I'm insurance licensed. I've got all these great credentials. And you go start talking to people about investing their money. And the first person you go talk to is your, your family. So I sit down with my dad and I give him this great pitch about how I'm great investment advisor. And he looked me square in the eye and just said, dude, there is no way I'm turning my retirement accounts over to you. You just graduated school. And I was like, what the crap? I thought that was like the easy sale, but that's yeah. how it was everywhere. And I get that as somebody's brand new. I mean, I don't know if I would give a 24 year old any money either, right? <laughs> And so that process is so painful because you can't even gather or start your practice or start advising people without experience. And how do you get experience if nobody will trust you? You have to ramp up. This subject is so real with us because there's a lot of reps that work for us that want to get into this business. And I tell them, look, go make a ton of money and then invest that money yourself and manage it. How much more credibility will you have if you say, look, I've been managing a million dollars of my own money over the last five years. Agreed. I mean, just slingshots you into it versus, all right, I've never done this before, but dad, do you want to invest your money? Let's see how this goes. Right. So I think takeaway number one is that you guys, if you're just starting out, I guess I'm proof in the pudding that it works. It just takes hard work and it For takes sure. a little bit of a goal and determination. So I tell you that because I consider myself an entrepreneur. I don't consider myself a financial advisor. I was like, hey, I've got to figure out how to find people to work with. And that led me to actually engaging with BYU. And I've sat on the board of the BYU Center for Entrepreneurship for almost 15 years now. Wow. So as, That's awesome. as students are building their business plan and they just need ideas run by them. But what that generated was a whole bunch of clients that had no assets, right? So hey, let me be your financial advisor. Oh, you're an entrepreneur. You've got zero dollars. And oh, you're going to be spending millions of dollars to build your business over the next five years. It wasn't a very good business plan. Sure. So Merrill Lynch didn't like that. They want you to go out and find the retirees with a million dollars in their IRA account so that you can bill them right off the bat. And here you go. And so I was always kicking against the pricks there at Merrill Lynch. It just wasn't their business model. They wanted people that didn't ask questions. They want people that just are fine with you billing. Um, you know, one of the most clear examples that I tell people, and, and it's just, it's still in the industry. Yeah. And it's still unfortunate. But I think a lot of people are figuring this out. But I was literally taught to tell people that mutual funds and ETFs and these different types of things were free to clients. They're not They're free. Crazy expensive. Somebody in a mutual fund, just so that we can kind of get a little introduction. But it's profitable for financial advisors. Right. Very profitable. It's very profitable. Yeah. So a mutual fund manager takes a group of stocks and they they pick that and they put it in a basket so that you don't have to. And the idea behind it is, okay, this mutual fund manager has all these resources and all of this area of expertise. And he's going to be able to put this basket of stocks better together better than I will. And so because he's got all that expertise, I'm going to pay him 1%. Yeah. So that mutual fund, the problem with it is that fee never shows up. It never shows up on your account statements. It never shows up in where it shows up is at the end of the year when you earned 11%, your statement shows you earned 10% because the manager took 1%. Yeah. Well, on top of that, you also have the financial advisor's fee for picking the mutual fund for you. 
So you now have another 1% to 2%. At Merrill Lynch, most of the guys were charging 1.75 to 2%. So then in their 3% total, (laughs) it's hard to get ahead with that. It's hard to get ahead. For sure. And so what was happening is I learned more and more about these conflicts of interest. The more and more I wanted to do things differently. And so in 2010, left and started Caliber Wealth Management. Cool. So the trick there is trying to convince your clients that they don't need Merrill Lynch and they really need you and are you okay with this? And Merrill Lynch would tell you and Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and all these groups would tell you that it's not important. You know, you're never going to survive. But what was interesting, as soon as I left, then the business started to thrive. It was like, oh, you don't have all these fees? Because what was happening now is I was picking the investments, the performance was going up, and there were no fees. So now all of a sudden clients were like, man, that was a great experience. And so that's the background of Caliber Wealth Management and kind of my background so that you understand we kind of consider ourselves entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, I know we're financial advisors and investment management uh, company, but ultimately down at our roots, we feel like we're entrepreneurs. But your story reminds me of so many industries that the consumer doesn't have the education to really decipher to know what's going on. I come from... The dental, my last company was a tech company in the dental space. And my wife actually, for a lot of years while we were married, her job was to catch dental fraud. So what she would do is she'd look at (laughs) insurance claims, right? And then she could tell if that person really had a cavity or not, because the dentist could just be like, Dave, yeah, you have a a cavity. We need to do, we need to drill and fill right now. And you don't know, right? You just have to. I had that experience. Yeah. And so, but it's the same in this industry too. And that's why there's probably a lot of good and bad. And that's why we're grateful for that education you just gave us. And then the other point is financial advisors can pretty much make money no matter what, assuming they have clients, because if they're getting a 1% fee on anything, if it's up, down, sideways, I mean, you can really make money. And so it's important to find a group that you really know. That's why going back to my example, why I gave one group some money and another group some money and just let it play out for a year. And then the proofs in the pudding, and then that's what got me to you, basically. Yeah, and I think besides the fee and understanding that, so my rule of thumb, especially for all you younger folks, okay, here's a great, great, great rule. And if you'll live by it, you'll never end up upside down. If you cannot explain what you're investing in to the person next to you, so your spouse or significant other, or maybe it's just a good buddy, if you cannot explain in detail to that investment to the person next to you, you should never invest it. Yeah. You don't who, know it well enough. Who's uh, credited for that? Is it Warren Buffett? I, I've heard that oh, a ton. Man. I don't know, man. If you don't understand it, don't invest in it, basically. Yeah, but there's more to it. Um, some investments, even I don't understand at the beginning, right? But I can explain it. Cryptocurrency is one of those. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have a guy on here in a couple of weeks on crypto. So crypto is one of those things where if you ask somebody really what it is, they have a general sense of it. But can you dry- describe all the details? And so I've done a lot of homework. It's not something that then we just shy away from because we don't know all of the details, sure. but we know them well enough that we can explain it to sure. someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if you don't, if you can't even say a sentence about what you're getting invested in, especially in your industry where there's so much camaraderie and everybody trusts everybody, like you're working in teams and you're working in groups. And so somebody says, hey, invest in this and invest in that. And all of a sudden people are investing in it, but you personally haven't done your homework. And the reason I say that is because everyone is custom. I can't just invest in what Brandon's investing in just because he's super smart and he's been really successful and he's in the same industry. Well, my life, my in-laws, my entire life is completely different than yours. Totally. My background of growing up, how I deal with money, what I see money happen with, it's so and, different. And what you need out of the investment. Maybe you need to be making draws. Maybe the next person doesn't. Maybe the next person wants to wait till they're 60. Maybe I don't, right? It's so so custom. So if you hear a good investment, do your homework. And if you don't have time to do your homework, don't invest. Yeah. It's not an opportunity that's going to go by and you're never going to see it again. That's another myth. It's just not true. Why we're on crypto, which I don't want to spend a lot of time on crypto since we'll go deep dive in crypto in a couple of weeks. But are you guys starting to look at investing some of the portfolio in crypto? Or do you see a day where you'll do that? Great question. The answer right now is no. 
The reason why is because in our industry, it's so funny. You guys don't know this, but it literally took me a week and a half to get approval to come out here and do this podcast. Wow. So I have to file things with the SEC and FINRA and with every group possible to come out here and give blanket advice. Because even, and, and be legit. Somebody right. else could just do it, but right. to do it the proper even way. Even on Twitter. I can't go on Twitter and say, hey, I really like MongoDB as a stock sure. because now I'm giving broad advice. So the problem with, uh, I think, our industry is that a lot of good voices get dampened because of the regulation. Does that yeah. make sense? So that regulation is also going to affect cryptocurrency. So it's hard for... It's hard for the entire advisor community to jump into it because that regulation hasn't been ironed out. Yeah. So right now, you know, this myth that that um, there's anonymity with cryptocurrency is being proven false, and it's one of the big values of cryptocurrency. I don't know if you guys saw the Wall Street Journal article, but 1.5 billion dollars worth of cryptocurrency was just pulled back by the federal government. Well, how'd they do that? How do they get the ransomware attack money back? If everything's anonymous, how do they get it back? So apparently this anonymity isn't what we're being told that it is. But my biggest concern with cryptocurrency, and I think the biggest concern with uh, the SEC and FINRA and some of these other groups, it's not taxes. It's not what they're doing with cryptocurrency. It's not even the utilization of cryptocurrency. The biggest issue is liquidity. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that yeah, later, but yeah, yeah. liquidity and cryptocurrencies. So when you have your specialists come on, you should start asking these questions. What happens if everybody decides to liquidate at the same time? My guess, this is Dave Gardner's personal opinion, is that the systems to trade and the platforms that we're on right now cannot handle even a fraction of the selling and trading that would happen if there was a need to liquidate immediately. So the easiest example that I have, and I, I, I catch a lot of people on this, but the Cash App allows you to buy Bitcoin. Have you guys all seen this? Yeah. So just on the, ca- like Robinhood, they just make it so freaking easy. And that's one of the things that SEC is looking at is the gamification of some of this stuff. Because if you're talking to someone that literally doesn't even know what compounding interest is, and they can get into cryptocurrency with a push of a button, we've got a little bit of a problem. So that's what they're looking at. They always regulate to the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. They don't worry about the people that are smart. They worry about the people that don't sure. understand. So yeah. the Cash App, when you go on the Cash App, this will blow your mind. So Cash is owned by Square. So Square is one of our favorite investments. We've owned it for about five years, and I'll tell you why. When you go on the Cash App and you buy Bitcoin, it literally is the easiest thing you've ever done. So 1000 bucks, I buy a fractional share of Bitcoin, done, it's in my little pocket, now it starts tracking it going up and down. What you didn't know is that you just paid Square 6% commissions to buy that. Same thing, it's just not in your face like you were talking about before, so you might not never find out, right? Right, so you can scroll down in your little app. And look at the details. And you can look at the details. So yeah. the other crazy thing is you want to sell it the next day, well, it's 6% to sell it. So Square just made 12%. 12%. And think how many people are doing that. So why do I want to own Square as opposed to That's the cryptocurrency? That's a very profitable business. They're just freaking Low printing Low overhead to printing cash for sure. The other killer thing about that cryptocurrency, sorry, this is one of my passion points right now because people don't understand it, is that the Cash App only lets you get out $2,000 of cash per week. So if you had $100,000 in cryptocurrency, yeah. you could sell it, but you can't get it back out. Hmm. So that liquidity, I think, is one of the, and that's been the case in historically, just so we look at it, 2008 and nine was a liquidity issue. Everybody could not get their real estate sold or have cash on hand the way they needed it. Coronavirus last year, liquidity issue. Everybody sells their money market because they're worried about buying toilet paper and Clorox wipes. Liquidity is a big issue that a lot of investors kind of underestimate. Sure, and that's why... When I look at my investment portfolio, why I don't have just real estate is because it's not liquid. It is semi-liquid, like you can list your house and sell it, but if the whole market crashes or something happens, it's going to take a lot longer or you're going to have to take a lot less to get your money out of it, right? And stocks is pretty instant. Now, but on this note, you don't want to sell, right? And if we go back year and a half, February, and I'm sure you're getting tons of clients blowing you up when the market crashed with COVID, 
you don't want to sell. You want to try and hold, right? And come yeah. out of there. Yeah, exactly. So it can be a good and a bad thing because a lot a of people, if you're thing. managing it yourself, you can do stupid things. Yeah, it definitely, the liquidity in the market is one of the biggest key points of it. That's what makes it so efficient and so valuable. Um, one a Stepping back though, liquidity actually starts with the proper rainy day fund or emergency fund. For sure. So for sure. You, you want to know You don't what, have to rely on your stock for liquidity. You need to have six months of savings in the bank. Then you don't have to feel urged to call Dave and be like, hey, sell 20 grand or whatever. Bigger thing is you're giving your advisor the green light to freaking invest when things are upside 100%. down. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know you, you got no debt and you got an emergency fund, rainy day fund. I, I have zero qualms when the market goes down 36% in February to dump everything into it and take advantage. So to kind of give you an example, that's exactly what we want to do. I don't want to have to call every client. We don't even work with clients until they have their emergency fund set up. But last year, so the market actually did really well, up 18.6% last year. That's a phenomenal year. But our portfolio is up 42% because of the fact that we could dump everything in at the right Buy time. Low. Right. Yeah. We're buying our favorite investments at some of the best prices we've ever seen, and we salivate for those, right? So um, it's really how you make money. Yeah. I actually, I remember calling Dave during this time, probably about March-ish, I called Dave and said, hey, Dave, I'm going to invest some of my own money in Robinhood because I had that fund sitting there. And I remember the advice you gave me is awesome. I'll remember this forever. You said, don't buy anything you want to be comfortable owning for the next five years because it was a risky time, right? And I had so many of my friends buying very risky stocks like AMC and the cruise lines because they thought they had dropped so low, it's just guaranteed to go back up. And they didn't recover that fast, right? right. And I stuck more to towards... Microsoft, Amazon, I went through a lot of just key financials and had to ask myself, is this a good long-term play? And I spent hours on this and I did awesome. Like that account grew a ton. That's awesome. And, but then I, I think a lot of our guys probably had the same experience as false confidence, right? I think you, you could have thrown your money at just about anything in March and done well last year. And so at the end of the year, I sold it I moved some money to you guys, bought some real estate because I realized that was just a freaky once in every 10 or 20 years opportunity when it's that low to jump in. But the the whole point is you were prepared for prepared, the opportunity. for sure. Definitely. Does that make sense? Yeah. I didn't have to touch anything else <laughs> yeah. I had with you guys. Well, I could just act independently. Right. And I'm going to go back to January and February. You were prepared in January and February. You didn't For wait sure. until... So now you see an opportunity. You've got the cash available. You knew where... Let me stress this too. You knew where your money was. Yeah. I met with a couple just yesterday. They have 14 freaking accounts spread across the nation. Vanguard, Fidelity, oh, everywhere. Man. And you don't understand, not only with fraud now, but just the ease of actually taking advantage of the opportunity of knowing where your money is, is key. Sure. And that's probably a good segue into just stocks because most of our contractors don't have those 14 accounts. In fact, most of them probably don't have one account. They're brand new. They've just made money for the first time. It's probably their first job since their mission. If they didn't serve mission, this is one of their first jobs anyways. And so now that they have money, they're wondering what, what can I do with this money? And a lot of them I'm noticing you get scared when it's your first time investing. And probably a lot of that is lack of education. That's why we're trying to do this yeah. podcast. Um, the other thing is a lot of them want to get real estate, but they can't cause they're going to have to wait two years and file returns. So this is a great option to invest money in while you're waiting, or you should always probably have something like this in your portfolio. So maybe just give a good overview of why stocks. Yeah. I think you just nailed it. One of the reasons why stocks is because they're liquid and because you can start with 50 bucks. You can start with $100. You can start with whatever amount of money that you want. And I'm going to give you this example. I shared with this Brandon a little while ago, but I actually had a girl that um, actually got an injury. She had she was on a razor. She got injured. And so the, the, the razor company, they sued. They gave her some money, and she took this money. How it was, much money? It's about $25,000, not how, millions how old is of she? dollars. So at now she's 22. But at the time? At the time she was 13. Okay, 13, 25 grand. Okay, so her parents are looking at us and they say, okay, this is a good opportunity for her to save up for college. She's kind of interested in this stuff. 
Her parents have rentals all over the place. They own a couple industrial properties. So they understood the value of time and compounding interest and money. And Yeah, so they're like, right? oh, put this in. You can build it up, and then we'll go buy you a duplex somewhere, sure. right? Yeah. So I was like, great. You want this 13-year-old. So we have our kind of favorite list of stocks. And she went down those, and you know, because of the value of some of those stocks, we could really only get 15 or 20 stocks in there. And then she added a few. Um, the one that sticks out in my mind that she added was actually Nintendo. And what year is this, by the way? 2000. Gosh, what year is this? Uh, you'll you guys will know like, better than I am. It's the one year before Pokemon because it fits into my story. I don't even know. You're, you're talking what? 2014. Yeah, I, I was gonna say right around we there, started sounds... 2013, and I think she's. Okay. So I fought with her. I'm like, dude, Nintendo sucks. Like the Switch hadn't come out at this point. They, they like they were dying, you know, on the vine. So I was like, Nintendo sucks. She's like, Nintendo is the greatest thing ever. And I was like, fine. We'll put it in the portfolio. Get keep in mind this is a 13-year-old girl. So that's what we the experience we want to have when we start doing our research. You've got to know it well enough that you're defending it. So anyway, I'll fast forward to the the end of it. She's got five hundred thousand dollars in her stock portfolio five? and three rentals already, and she's Wait. twenty-two years old. Wait, okay, hold on. Did she contribute more nope. after just the original investment of the original K? Has grown to five hundred. So that's seven years. Actually, that's right. Seven and a half years she's been investing. That is crazy. Yeah, there's a couple of things that what are in, in the there world? that happened. So 2018, Trump was talking about tariffs. Market went down 26 percent. Coronavirus hit. Market went down 36 percent. She's prepared for this stuff. It's insane. So I finish my story. In 2014, Pokemon hit the world. And Nintendo went from being the worst stock in her portfolio to being up almost 500% oh in a year because everybody had their freaking face in a Pokemon card. But, but even though it killed it, she didn't have that yeah. much invested. So like, the, the, she had 15 stocks. Oh, she did she, add to it. She did add to it because okay, what, she she, added. She, what she did is actually when she turned 18 and she could actually own real estate, we took the portfolio. I think it had about $200,000 in it at that point. We leveraged the portfolio and she bought her first rental up in Rexburg. Okay. And that rental income has been coming back into the portfolio. So since so just the 2018, rent, not the 200k, not just the cash flow positive. Like, so like are we talking 500 bucks? Okay, 500 bucks. But then she did that again because the On equity the in that property? property went up. So I think she's contributing about 2,500 dollars a month now because of the properties. The three properties are cash flowing that much back into the portfolio. That's such a cool story because probably most contractors that work for us could probably invest 50k yeah i mean there's a lot that can invest a lot more of that but what i love about her story is that she's doing real estate and stocks and then she's taking the cash flow from the real estate and building up stocks i mean that's incredible her ultimate goal was real estate that's the interesting thing she had no need she had no desire to learn about the stock market until she started actually dealing with individual stocks and then she's like oh well i understand what nintendo's doing i understand what home depot's yeah. doing and so that actually is one of my points. I would actually say if you're starting out investing, get involved in individual stocks. Sure. There's other tools, mutual funds, ETFs, and all these things we talk about. But the reason I love individual stocks is because you know what's happening to Microsoft. Sure. A good example last year was, I love Chipotle. I go there because it's healthy, clean food. Oh, Probably great the, investment. the healthiest you can find for fast food, right? And I go in there and I'm noticing, every time I go in there, everybody's always... Usually the majority, I shouldn't say everybody, the majority is like 20 to 35-ish. I mean, it's a very niche thing, right? And it's always busy. There's always lines out the doors, whatever. I'm like, I eat this. I can tell it's super busy. Like, this is a company I want to own because I can tell it's doing well. Another one is Lululemon, right? I, my wife buys me. I would never spend that much money on a pair of joggers or sweats <laughs> or anything. But then she gets me a couple of pairs, and I'm like, these are freaking dope. I love them. They're comfy. And if my wife's getting this stuff and I'm getting it, like how many other people my age are getting it too? So Lululemon was another good one for me. Do you guys own any of those two in your portfolio? Both. So both those are key. Yeah. So one of the things you may or may not be aware of is that both of those companies have zero debt. I didn't know that. So Chipotle we bought, do you remember Salmonella Gate when all the lettuce was tainted? I mean, totally. it was, they were growing. They had 1,800 stores. They're talking about 3,600 stores. Yeah. And then the lettuce hit, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, Chipotle sucks. Well, that's when we added it to the portfolio. 
I think we added it, was low. it at $111. Just okay. so you guys know, it's trading around $1,900 right now. What? So what year is do this? Do you remember Lululemon too? What I happened don't. with Lululemon? Hold on, Does, real quick. I on, wish we had real, questions. Real quick on Chipotle. Okay, you just said you bought it at what? A hundred? Hundred and eleven dollars. And now it's at eighteen sixty one. Right yeah, now, 18. as we're sitting right so now. So it had two down days. What in yeah. the world? Well, it went up almost thirty percent in the last two weeks just this year. What what year is this? Was this fourteen, fifteen, sixteen? It would be yeah, right in that right point. around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, and I knew when that happened because I listened to a podcast of the CEO and he said, it's actually going to make us better because we're going to handle everything better. We're going to start dipping in, you know, a certain degree water. So it kills all the bacteria, whatever. And I'm like, I know these guys are going to come so back. So same with Lululemon. I wish we could ask questions. Is it, Jake, do you remember what happened with Lululemon? I don't. Does nobody remember the see-through pants gate? No, I never oh, heard about this. Oh, they made the freaking joggers so see-through for women that you could literally see everything. Now all you guys are Googling this and looking up terrible pictures. <laughs> but Lululemon created pants that were so thin you could literally see everything. What? And their stock just freaking got crushed. And that's when you bought it. Well, the founder was the CEO at that time, and that was one of the reasons that we didn't like it is because sometimes founders are not the best investors. So sure. Uber is an example of that. There's quite a few where yeah, founders yeah. really are out of their league. Totally. Okay. I Mark Zuckerberg might be an exception there, but a lot of times you want to see somebody come in and execute. So the founder actually switched to that point. So the stock actually started to come back and then they put a real CEO in okay. and that's when we bought it. And Lululemon consistently for the last six or seven years has earned us 18 to 25%. Wow. Again, why though? Think about Lululemon. No debt. They have not even expanded internationally, and everyone is willing to pay $190 for a freaking pair of pants. Dude, their margins are insane. Like those joggers can't cost more than two bucks to make. So it's a great company. It's the same with Chipotle. No international expansion, 1,800 stores in the U.S. They've already told people they're going to have 3,600 stores. Why won't I don't want to own that? So I love what you just pointed out, Brandon. If I had new investors, you know what our first conversation with them is? It doesn't matter if they're 13-year-olds or whether they're 40-year-olds. What do you like? What do you use? What do you like and what do you use? Because if you do, everyone else does. Does that make sense? Totally. I love that. What percentage of your portfolio do you think should be stocks versus real estate versus other things? Oh, great question. Assuming I have my rainy day fund and all my personal life's taken care of, and now I'm in a place where I can play offense. Ultimately, we like to look at this as a third, a third, a third. So let's say money was not an object. So we have a few clients that are worth several billion dollars and their portfolios are 33, 33, 33. Let me tell you what those three legs of the stool are. Buckets, okay. One is stocks. And, and liquid investments, often that could be tax-free municipal bonds, depending on your wealth. But that bucket is, is built for liquidity. It's built for these ups and downs and take advantage of all those things. The other 33% is real estate, okay? Because that is the crux of, real estate has so many advantages. You can use the debt to leverage it. You can have somebody else pay down your mortgage. There's just so many tax advantages that are involved with it. So that's a big key there. And then the last third is actually what we would tame kind of alternative or private investments. This might be where you put a little bit of your cryptocurrency into, but more importantly, it's private businesses. Yeah. So you could own, you know, you could invest in a franchise or whatever the case is. And And we have some of those actually coming on this podcast in a couple of weeks. We have a cookie business coming on, franchise people could invest in, a couple of restaurants. So Yeah. And I said those in the specific order of how I would recommend them. Right. You build your wealth with liquidity, then with income from real estate estate, tax advantages, then then from private, which is more speculative. There's no liquidity. You're hoping for a home run. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it's high risk too. It's high risk. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, We talk a lot. Time is so important in this investment. Time is everything, right? Time is everything. Compounding interest, everything. (laughs) What's so cool about most of the people that work for us is they have so much time. Yep. Right? I wish I was 22 and making the kind of money that they are because knowing what I know now, I mean, you could dominate, right? Knowing what you know now, if you could go back to that age and you're making 250 or whatever, you just do a couple of simple things and you're done by your time you're 30. Yep. Right? So talk to us about time. 
So time is one of the, uh, along with liquidity, one of the most underestimated tools that we have to invest. And it's because by by nature, we're impatient, right? Yeah, we want it's not in our psychology. We want everything now. So and what, it's not sexy. It's not waiting, sexy. Waiting long <laughs> is not sexy. So what we found to complement that so that people can deal with the timeframes that are required to really build wealth is a plan. It's, it's really sounds really dumb, but if you know in five years you can have a million dollars in your account, you really work hard for five years and you put your head down and you go to work and you don't get distracted. But because you don't know that's possible, you kind of get pulled in different directions trying to figure out what the best solution is. So one of our pieces of advice is create a plan for yourself, create a goal, create something. I was just talking to a guy out in California that's a day trader in all of this, uh, uh, these uh, credit, the solar credits. You guys probably know more about that than I do. So he's trading credits back and forth out there in California. And any year he can make $200,000, but he could make as much as $500,000 if he just sat at his desk every day and did the work. It's just the work's really hard. So I said to him, bro, what if we could have $5 million in five years? And he's like, dude, if I do that, I'd actually work every day. And I was like, why don't we do that? He's like, you're telling me that that's actually possible. So during the conversation, it's now two years into it, and he's got about $1.6, $1.7 million. Invested with you guys? Invested, right? So he's just dumping all the extra cash flow in. He's not worrying about what's the best investment. He's kind of letting us do that. What he's worrying about is getting to $5 million in five years. Yeah, just keep making the money. Right. Which is a key thing, right? Because sometimes when you're younger, like a lot of our contractors – they think, oh, I'm just going to go jump in and do it full time. And I'm like, no, 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 this is what's allowing you yes. to do that. So wait till the right time. Just like this guy, he has 1.7 invested, but he's still hustling to get up to that certain amount. And oh, then man. he has that freedom to go do whatever, right? I wish I could tell everybody that. Work is what makes you money. Investing is what helps grow that money. Totally. And so one thing that Dave Ramsey actually made really famous is this kind of calculation. He says, by the time you're age 26, if you have $26,000 in the stock market, by the time you're age 60 and you do nothing else, you've got a million dollars. Totally. So 26 grand in an account, by the time you're 26, you got a million dollars. In fact, very conservative numbers there too. Very conservative. So I ran some numbers for you guys, just so you'd have some numbers that, that, uh, you can kind of rely on a little bit. Because I know a lot of these guys are starting to make some pretty good cash. So one of the things... Real quick, while you're pulling that up. So this guy, he's got 1.6, 1.7, and he's trying to get to 5 million. What's the safe number to say that you can sell every year without touching principal? 5%? Yes, I use 5%. 5%. So if he has 5 million, he's going to make 250 grand the rest of his life without touching principal. tax-free. Tax-free. How tax-free? Yes, because there are investments that pay out tax-free, both federal and state tax-free interest, tax-free municipal bonds. Really? Mm-hmm. But that's not going to be the whole 250. Yes, it is. It is going to be the whole. Uh-huh. What? I never that's understood that with you guys. That's how the wealthy get wealthier. So it's yeah. whole 250. He's not going to pay taxes on that. Yeah. Actually, we manage about yeah half a billion dollars, and I would say more than half of that is in tax-free municipal bonds. Really? Yeah, because... Again, at some point, you don't need risk. You, so you don't need, need the 20% income. gains like Lou Lemon Chipotle. So then you start to adjust it as they're coming up on the four or five million. Why do you not need the risk? Because you can do that you in your own print, life. You already have the chunk there. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, so that's yeah. crazy. 250 tax free the rest of his life. And that's what he said. I could live what? on that. I never have to work again. And I was like, sweet, bro, let's do it. What are we waiting for? That I hope everybody realizes how huge that is. That's the worst about. case scenario. That is now insane. you add into the mix of that tax-free municipal bond portfolio, 20, 30% of stocks and real estate and other sure. things. Now all of a sudden you're, you really have an impenetrable portfolio. And that's what we try to get to. The least amount of risk for the best return. Yeah, the bonds, if the market goes up or down, if these bonds are with cities or you're borrowing money of the government, it doesn't really matter, yeah. right? Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you an example because there's a really cool example here in Utah. The Alpine School District needed eight new high schools five years ago. So Sky Ridge High School, these are like college campuses now if you get to them. These high schools are ridiculous, but they needed $400 million to, buy, to build those high schools. So the state of Utah 
puts it to vote, and we all vote, yes, we want to raise the money, a bond, to go out and build these high schools. Well, how do they get the bond? Well, they get the money from investors. Right. So investors say, yeah, that's a great deal. Well, the reason that was such a great deal is because Alpine School District didn't just raise $400 million in the bond. They raised $450 million, $50 million of which goes into escrow to pay all of the interest and dividends for the next wow. 30 years. It's already prepaid. It's one of the safest wow. investments you can ever know. The other thing is if Alpine School District defaults on their bond, guess who pays the, the bill? state. The state. Guess what? Who pays the bill if the state defaults? The feds. The feds. What? It's one of the safest That's investments. Wild. You, let me give you another example, though, because not all bonds are created equal, just like stocks. Sure. Same year, Real Salt Lake builds a stadium. They needed that stadium in Sandy. $300 million bond. Okay. But guess what that bond is based off of? Nothing. The revenue from Real Salt oh, yeah. Lake soccer Sketchy team. Sketchy bond. But well, it, more high risk, I should more say. More high risk. So that bond pays... Could be good, could not. That bond pays 5.2 in interest. The other one pays 5% in interest. So why would you even mess with that one? Exactly. But people don't pay attention. Yeah. 50 million escrow fund, then the state, then the feds. It's like, unless our government crashes completely, you're getting paid. Yeah. One of the, one of the most expensive bonds in the United States is the bond that built Yankee Stadium. And it's because the Yankees have to pay so much freaking money to those bond investors because it's backed by the revenue of the Yankees. So mm. think about last year when no baseball's happening. Sure. Who's paying that? Yeah. So the bondholders start to freak out when there's no baseball being played. Even still, I think just now stadiums are starting to get full. So. Wow. Anyway, just Crazy. like any investment, you want to kind of pay attention. I had no idea about the tax-free. Yes, show us the numbers. So that back you have. to our question about time. If you just put fifty grand in now and you did nothing, you'd have eighty-five thousand dollars in five years. Okay. So this is just normal stock market performance. Okay. If you put in fifty grand for five years and you added fifty grand every five years, right? So you guys are out there. You're doing your once job once a year or once every a year. five years. Once a year. 50 so fifty grand. grand for five years. Okay. You have so, so you guys two fifty every two fifty okay. total. You have almost four hundred thousand dollars. So you invest two hundred and fifty total, and you get another hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, did I do the math right? Yeah, another hundred and fifty thousand dollars just simply because you were willing to invest. It gets even bigger the bigger you go. I kind of ran the numbers to get to a million dollars. So if you put a hundred grand in and a hundred grand in for five years, you're at eight hundred thousand dollars in five, five years. years. You're getting to financial freedom in five years. If you're twenty-two, why would you not do this with a hundred grand a year? We we're impatient. Yeah. So the process is you've got to fit that into your financial plan. You've got to cover taxes. If you're really making 250, 300K, 500K, you've got to cover taxes. You've got to kind of cover your marketing expenses for your team and what you're doing with your business. But what happens is we don't create a plan. We just get distracted. Oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. And if you actually had a plan, you could get to this million dollars in five years. Think about being 27 and having 800 grand in investing, like the world is your oyster, just totally. so you're clear. Go do anything you want. Yeah, because yeah. at that point, just so everybody's clear, the stock market doubles every seven years. So if I had 800 grand, by the time I'm 34, I've got a million six and I didn't do yeah. anything. This is where ADD can be an enemy, <laughs> right? And a lot, of, a lot of sales guys have that. And so... It's just like, oh, I made some money and now I'm chasing this and now I do this, now I do this. And all my friends that are truly wealthy, they're just okay doing the same thing for years and years and years and just like staying true to it, right? And I, I think it's that's even- that's where you make money. That's where you make money. And I think it's even harder when you're younger yep. because you haven't learned patience yet. You've never probably had to do something for five years in a row, maybe sports growing up or something like that. Um, and so I'm glad we're talking about that because the best thing that you can do is just stick to it. Yeah. Imagine what it. type of team you build after five years. Totally. Too. That's the other thing. We're just talking about individual success. Yeah. But your business allows group success. Oh, for sure. I yeah. mean, it starts to get pretty exciting all, pretty quick. All the time, even with recruiting, somebody's like, man, I think I can only get four or five recruits this year. I'm like, that's insane. Yeah. 
<laughs> like think of what you'll get next year if next year you get 10. It's just you nobody know? wants to start the ball rolling because it's yeah. so difficult. Yeah, and then the next year, it's like if you give anything time, and I think with younger generations, four or five years sounds like a long time, but like your parents or my parents, they people used to work at the same company yeah. their whole entire oh, yeah. life. Like f- talking in a 35, 40-year stretch, that's just what it was. Yep. And now like people have a hard time sticking at one job for four years. Yeah. And, and again, it's a balance. We're not asking them to put everything into investing. We're asking you to put what's excess totally, to work. Does that sure. make sense? Yeah. You got to live your life, but it's the excess that we want to have a give it a purpose. So maybe let's talk about, because I know you've worked with some people that are in this industry. You had a really cool story last year when we spoke about a guy, I think in solar, that was probably a typical oh. guy just here, tell us about that guy. Spending <laughs> I, I, habits, everything. I, I have a hard time because this isn't just a one-time occurrence. Yeah, so this is. You've seen this luckily, story over this and over and yeah, over. Luckily, this guy's back east. He's out of New Jersey, and so <laughs> there's not a whole lot. Hopefully, different will, different you know, company. Yeah, different company. Different yeah. company. So we go. This guy's but it's solar. Yeah, it's but solar. solar. Yeah. yeah. So he comes. He calls us. You know, he's like, "Hey, so and so referred me. I want you guys." So we were out doing a, a meeting where we're answering a whole bunch of questions, making sure their business is set up right and everything. And he's like, hey, I want you guys to come personally over and sit down with me and my wife and kind of go through everything. I'm making about half a million dollars a year. Well, as an advisor, you start to assume, okay, well, you've been making half a million dollars. probably pretty for, good in this. Yeah. yeah for four or five world. years, you're like, okay, this guy's got to probably be in a pretty good situation. Yeah. And I, I remember walking into their house and immediately feeling like, oh, shoot, this is going to be... It was just the feeling like you there. just knew it was paycheck to paycheck, even at 500 grand. Yeah, bro. It was weird. Yeah. There was a huge house. No, there was I, no furniture. There was like eight cars in the driveway. Yeah. That's this industry. And not, I was like... That's not our company, but that's this industry. And you could just tell the wife was like, oh, finally. Finally, I'm going to get this guy roped in. Like you know? third party to be like, get it under control. <laughs> So we sit down, and so you do the math, and the way that he was getting paid, because he was kind of in the senior leadership, he's getting 50K a month plus the back end and some of these other things. So I thought to myself, where do you put 50K a month? Like, you really have to work hard to, to spend, spend that. that much money, yeah. right? So we sit down, and we go through it, no emergency fund. Literally, they've got $13,000 oh in credit card debt. God. And I was like, how do you have credit card debt? You make 50 grand a freaking month. So it got worse and worse and worse. Like he owed $120,000 in back taxes. Like, and so I'm looking at the eight cars. I'm like, holy hell, freaking sell a car. Yeah. But it didn't, it doesn't cross their mind because they just think they're going to make more money. They're going to keep making more and more and more. And And it's going to go forever, probably. They're banking on that, right? And unfortunately, that's the way the company culture is. Yeah, totally. Hey, look to the future. Look to the future. Look to the future so that you're always trapped behind. Yeah. So it was a real kind of coming to Jesus. Hey, listen, you guys got to freaking sell some stuff. Like, we got to the point where it was kind of drag down, throw down. Hey, like, I don't care about your business, so I'm going to tell you directly what we think you should be doing with this money. Number one, get yourself on a freaking budget. If you can't live in ten thousand dollars, then and you and and you can't even track where it's going, like I, I'm sorry, but that's just inexcusable. You know, there there's a How point was where he, accountability. How old was he? at this time? He's about thirty. Okay, thirty, about 30 years he's old. He's been in the industry five, six years. Yeah. So and you think probably about alarms that. for five years before that. A you lot think of the, about being in business for five years and having negative net crazy, worth, dude. <laughs> I mean, crazy. It's, it's crazy, but it's not crazy in this industry. And it's overwhelming to them because no matter how hard they work. So here's one of our red flags. So shame on you all that are listening and you feel this way. I need to get another job or I need to go talk to my boss to get paid more or I need to make more income. If you are saying that to yourself, it's actually one of our biggest red flags that you don't know how to manage your finances. I don't care if you live on $25,000 a year. There's a way to do it. Your income's not the problem. Yes. And you think it is. And so you go get more jobs or you get a side hustle. Well, your side hustle takes you away from what you're really doing to make money. And you'll just keep spending more. Right. It doesn't fix anything. Yeah. So anyway, bottom line is this guy has been a client now since 2017. And he's got a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank. 
or in his investment accounts with us. He owns a beautiful home in New Jersey, probably worth close to eight nine hundred thousand dollars that has no debt on it. It's completely free. He's got no back taxes. He's got an emergency fund. And quite honestly, I'll just be direct with you, probably saved his marriage. I mean, it was literally to the brink of, you know, they just could not figure it out. And the hard thing was you're you're blaming each other when when there's no one to blame. It's just yeah. how you were how you were raised and how you know how to do things. And so with a few of those tools and walking through that, I think you know that they're in a much better situation. Now his goal is, man, I want to get to a spot where I can walk away from the business. Yeah. But instead of being in business for 15 years and getting there, he could have done it in five, six, seven, oh, or eight. You know, with that income he could have been done so fast. Oh, man, it's crazy. So fast, yeah. And you say a couple of interesting things. I mean. We'll talk about money at the end of this. I'm going to hurry and do a check on time too, but money can take so much stress off of your relationship. I, I've always heard, I've never looked into it, but I've always heard that's the biggest cause of divorce. And so it's like the opportunity that I think everybody has here is you can take one big thing off the plate to fight about. If you're making a lot and you're smart and you get your personal finance and habits in place, Man, it, it's so nice not to have to worry about that, right? Yeah. I think Brandon and I were talking just before this started, and money, as I've been doing this now for a long time, means different things to a lot of people. And I would agree with you that you've got to just remember that it means different things in different relationships too. Totally. Uh, <clears throat> oddly enough, for those of you that are making good money, it's actually the people with the most money that have the hardest relationships. And it's because they think money solves the problems that it doesn't solve. It doesn't solve communication problems. For it doesn't sure. solve infidelity. <laughs> it doesn't solve, you know, it, it solves some problems, but you're treating money as the tool that solves everything and it doesn't. There's a really good book, Brandon, that I was just mentioning to you that I read. <clears throat> it's called The Soul of Money um, by Lynn Twist. Lynn Twist has met with Gandhi. She's met with um, Mother Teresa. She's met oh, yeah. with I've some of the wealthiest donors in the world yeah. because of the fact that she's raised money for the Hunger Project, which is to kind of get rid of world hunger. Sure. But she has such a good uh, outlook <clears throat> on what money really is yeah. and what you can do with it. So I just got finished reading it. Some of the stories are actually hard to hard to read because you're reading, you know, some, some pretty fanatical stories in sure. some of these countries. <clears throat> but the relationship is, okay, I, I wish I could say it better. She talks about money as being water, like how water flows through your life and you can use it for good. Good you or can, for bad. Yeah. You can use it for whatever you want. Yeah. So if you approach money and you have your relationship with money, if you're letting it control your life, then you've probably got a problem. For sure. So I often say that with taxes. If you're making a decision based on taxes, you're making a stupid decision because you're letting taxes control your life. You're not letting, you're not taking control of it. So I see I, that so much. <laughs> like, because with us, we see a lot of guys progressing, right? So we see people breaking in new realms of making money that they never have made. And so you'll hear all the time, well, I don't want to pay that much in taxes. I'm like, dude, that's a great problem to have because. Oh, Guess what? When you are making a half million, you're going to pay taxes. Yeah. And they're like, they almost don't want to make that kind of money just because they're going to pay taxes. And you're, and if you invest well, guess what you do? You generate more taxes. For sure. You know, so it's part of your life. And I, I feel like that's how money is. It's part of our lives. So you need to get a grip on your relationship yeah. with it. What do you want to do with it? Do you, and, and that's back to the plan and the goal. What do you yeah, want to actually sure. achieve with this? So you want financial freedom? Okay. That's great. What are you going to do with that freedom? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've, you, I've read a couple of books on money about, um, you know, if you, it's a different number with different books and research, but basically essentially after you make a certain amount and you're able to pay your bills, that your happiness won't increase from that point forward, which I totally believe in with the only caveat of if you're using money to give back, fight world hunger, whatever it is, then I think you can live a happier, more fulfilling life. But I don't think the nicer car, the nicer home, any of that's going to make you happy. I think money can get you freedom. And if you're good with it and understand, I mean, if we lived in 1000 AD, maybe never need money. Maybe you can grow your own food. You can build your own home yeah, and you point. can operate, right? But unfortunately, in the world we live in today, you have to have money to live. There's no way around it. Yeah, and I think, I guess that's why I like the way your team approaches this. Because one of the ways that you can give back 
is simply to be a great leader. You can be a good team lead. You can give back to your team, and that just promotes even better relationships with money and better. You can you can mentor somebody in their process of you know coming on and and making money and change their life. They may not love the job, but you can teach them how to love the aspects of the job of marketing and using skills that they haven't learned. And that's one of the things you can do to give back that your money allows you to do. Why does it allow you? Because you have more time. You have more time because you built this great team. So now you can give back to these team members in a more meaningful way. way. And you never know how far that's going to go in somebody's life. Yeah, I think about that all the time because I'm like, what can I do as a CEO of this company? I can always help people try and make more money. And we're always trying to explore that with new residual income through commission and different things. I think what I can even do that's bigger than that is provide education around yeah. money because that'll last for forever, right? It absolutely will. Now they just have to put it into practice. Put it into practice. <laughs> okay, last thing, because I know we're we're at time here. What do you think about the market? What do you see happening over the next six to 12 months? Yeah, great question. Today, uh, so I'll give you very short term. I think over the next three or four days, you guys can make a, met, a bet on the downside. There's a lot of signals that say, hey, we just hit a market top again. Small cap stocks are selling off. Those are usually an indicator of kind of the the foundation of the economy. So over the next four or five days, we'll probably see the market come back four or five percent. What will happen after that is you'll see it shoot right back up because there is so much cash in the system that everybody is looking for an opportunity to buy the dip. So I think over the next six to 12 months, you literally, the, the rule is you can't fight the Fed. Well, the Fed is lower interest rates and more cash into the system, which promotes the stock market. Why do they like the stock market? Well, every president wants the first year of the, their presidency to be a real positive but stock market. But it hasn't market. been a real positive market of Biden's first year, right? It's, it's up been, 18% year Is it 18%? Yeah. Okay. So, I've just been looking at Tesla probably like Tesla yes. sucked this year. Well, and that's part of the problem. You get... Tesla gets bid up last year, hoping that there's a Democratic president. Now you're just, you're wafering a little bit because you got all your earnings last year. Last year, yeah. yeah. It's like buy the news, sell the rumor type so, thing. So I think next six, 12 months, even 24 months out in the U.S., we are going to have a really, really positive economy. That's awesome to hear. So you're you're pretty optimistic and bullish on the market for it, the next year or two. Not only that, there are so many people that have cash. Solar should be at the top of the list because as you guys know, it's expensive. Yeah. I mean, solar last year, all solar stocks were phenomenal. I think this year, solar's been a little choppy, right? And depending on the area. Yeah. But again, you probably got a lot of that bid in too. Yeah, right? sure. And now you're waiting for new homes and new builds and yeah. new inventory to come on. There's more competition too in that space. But I think one of the things I want to touch on really quickly is inflation. We keep hearing that. Just so you guys know, we are concerned about inflation too, but it's such a slow moving beast that it's there's nothing you can do right now to invest in it, to avoid it, other than to own stocks. Why own stocks? Because think about what's happening. Wages go up. So McDonald's, right? They have to pay $500 right now to recruit shift managers. Sure. So wages go up and then people spend more. So prices go up and then businesses adjust those prices up. So they pass it back down to the consumer. And that's what inflation is. So what goes, what, what does well when inflation is happening? Anything that it can adjust upwards with those price increases. And really the only investment that does that perfectly is the stock market because it represents those price Mm, increases. Sure. Some of the things that we get concerned about is longer term bonds. If we own a bond that is five, 10 years long and it pays 5%, interest rates go up to combat inflation. Now new bonds are being issued at 6%. So ours that only pays five goes down in value and it's the same with real estate. So office leases with five and 10 year leases are susceptible right now because if they move interest rates up and these guys are locked into long-term leases. So guess what all the tenants are doing in these office buildings? What? They're locking in the longest leases they possibly can. Yeah. And, and, uh, and all of the, uh, the rookie real estate investors are thinking, oh man, this is so awesome. I'm going to get a 10 year lease out of this company. I'm not even going to worry about my property. What you don't know is that rents are going up every freaking month right now. Hmm. So real estate, you got to be careful of because every industry gets affected differently. Our apartments have done really well that we've invested in because why? Apartments raise rents every month. 
It's eight hundred dollars to eight hundred three to eight hundred five to eight hundred seven, and 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 a good apartment manager will not even let their people know that their the rents are going up just a couple of dollars every single month, so sure. they're adjusting with inflation. So, your conservative investments when inflation goes up can be the thing that's most susceptible. Uh, so, oddly enough, you want to take on a little bit of risk right now over the next two years, while the economy's positive and while we're having conversations about inflation. You need to go in and, and actually get invested and take on a little risk because it'll help you combat that stuff. That's helpful. Uh, let's check in with Jake, see if Jake has any questions from anybody listening. Yeah, you've been awesome so far. Uh, really thanks, appreciate man. you, Dave. Um, so many cool stories. So it's been really inspirational to learn and to be motivated to invest. Guys want to know, I don't know if we touched on this, but if you were 24 or 23 and you were making 200 grand a year, and the next three or four years, that was your plan. How would that look for you? What would you be thinking right now? What would you be investing in? How much would you be living on? What would your goal be in four years when you leave here? That type of thing. Yeah, I think um, the industry is really a little bit unique because some of your rent, some of your payments are covered by the yeah. by the business. So that should free up more cash flow. Plus, you're in a high earning you know, industry. So that should free up even more cash flow. I wouldn't be afraid to make mistakes would be the the advice that I'd give. What that means to me is that you would set aside enough cash to feel happy. So in your industry, that would definitely be six months worth of living expenses all okay. the way out to a year if you're really conservative. Yeah. Once you have that cash in place, you should start investing. Everything else. Everything else. Okay. So that you can start learning, you can start getting the experience, and you can start finding and, and doing the homework. Now, that investment should not come at the expense of your day job. Because again, where are you going to make the most money? In your daily work. What your investing should do is complement that. So that's why the stock market works well for a lot of investors, because it doesn't take a whole lot of time and energy, but yet you get a good education, especially in the first couple of months, first year as you're doing it. It just gives you a platform to get money invested. Now, if you have a good advisor, they should also be advising you to reach your other goals. So if your goal is real estate, then they should be building a portfolio that complements that real estate. A lot of them are young enough that they're not married. So you've got to consider, okay, maybe your first purchase is a is a home base somewhere, yeah. right? And is that home base going to be also your first rental property? Yeah, it should be. Yeah. That it's... way you can get in and, and afford something and not have to buy a, you know, something that's extravagant or your your end of life home. Like if you have this idea that you're going to build a million dollar gate, you know, house right out of the bat, it doesn't make sense because you don't know where you're going to be in 2 or 3 years. But it might make sense to buy a four or $500,000 home. That's what the prices are in Utah for entry-level <laughs> homes. It might make sense there because you can still have a home base. You know you could easily rent it out if you needed to. You know you could sell it for advantage. But that all fits together. It fits with investing in the stock market because, again, depending on what happens with your time and your success in the business. But my advice would be set your emergency fund aside and freaking go take on some risk and don't be afraid to make the mistakes. There's no way to learn until you get into it. There's not a better time would to you... take on risk too when you're 22, right? Yeah. Why not like screw it up when you can? I lose that money when I'm single and don't have five kids. Yeah. Uh, so I was living, so I got married my freshman year before my freshman year and I was living in the dumpiest Five, there were five people in one freaking house. I remember one Sunday I was getting ready for church and the ceiling came in and I was literally looking up my neighbor naked in the shower above me. And I was thinking, why am I living in this hole? It was $700. This was 20 years ago. Wow. Because, you, you know, this is that's all that was available. So my wife and I are like, screw this. Let's go buy a, a condo or a townhome that we have to pay $700 for. We went and bought an $89,000 condo. This is my first. We have no clue what we're doing. We're filling out this paperwork by ourselves. Everybody's telling us to use a real estate agent. And I was like, that seems freaking expensive. I'm a tightwad. <laughs> so we figured it all out on our own. We bought this townhome, this little condo in Orem for $89,000 because it, it matched what we were paying for the freaking rent. It was a great investment. We thought we were freaking amazing. Two years later, we sold it for $140,000 wow, thinking we're the greatest cool. real estate investors ever. But that was 2004, five, you know, yeah. actually 2001, two, and three when real estate was going up. It was good up. years, but it also required some risk. And right. you're willing to take the risk. Yeah, so get in and do it. Awesome. And then they also asked, this week you said we're going to have a dip. 
And so this would be a great week if you do have some money on the side to throw it in. Clarify that. I speculate you, that we're going to have a dip. You, I cannot yeah, predict yeah, yeah. the future. <laughs> totally. You <laughs> predict that possibly maybe there might be a dip this week. And if there is, if it goes down 5%, you would say jump in. Yes, absolutely. And it's just be aware that, again, this is going to happen on a regular basis. So the whole point is what we talked about before, be prepared. So have your money ready, put it to work. Um, there's, some, there's some guys that we're working with here and in, in your company right now. We're sitting on some cash waiting to get it invested for this very week. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that would be my advice on this is I've got two texts since we've been on this podcast, both asking for financial advice. One of them said, here's my bank account. What should I do? The other one said, hey, I think I'm going to make this amount. What should I do this year? What I would say when it comes to stocks is let, let an expert do it. For sure. Because you're going to make so much more money in your trade, which is knocking doors, selling solar. Then you're going to make it investing 20 grand, trying to read all these articles, when the dip's going to come. And then you have to be right twice, not just on the buy, but now you have to sell it at the right time too. Maybe make a couple hundred bucks from that. Like it's going to be so minimal on what they can make. What I love about having my money with you guys is I don't care about anything that's happening in the market. I don't care. I don't care what CEO got fired, what Lululemon's financials are, if Chipotle's doing great, I don't care. Cause you guys are full time studying that. Yep. And I can just devote all my time and attention to this and you guys will watch those dips, you'll buy more. And so that's what I would say is like, it's really not worth you. your time as you get more wealthy and you get more successful in life, the thing you have to guard is your time. And so I just don't think trying to do it on your own is the best thing. I would just let somebody else do it. I would agree with you. One caveat to that would be hold the professional that you're working with, your CPA, your attorney, your advisor, accountable. Totally. No question is a dumb question. If they can't explain it to you, it should be a really good key that yeah. you shouldn't work to them. Or they don't want to explain it because it doesn't seem like they have enough time for you. Fire them. Well, in any good group like you guys reaches out and said, hey, we want to do our review. We want to check in. We want to show you what's going uh, on. And that that's all I need. That's good enough, yeah. right? There's accountability there. Yeah, I would use a professional when starting out just because there's a whole bunch that you don't know that you don't know. Now, a good, a good advisor, a good CPA, they will actually take the time and educate you. They will promote education. If they, if they promote, hey, don't worry about it, if you hear that out of their mouth, that's not a good sign. And why? Because they feel insecure. They feel like you're judging them. Like, why are you asking me these questions? Don't worry about it. This is my job. I'm the professional. Yeah, that's more like the big group. So if you notice those insecurities yeah. in the in the professionals that you're working with, fire them. Go find somebody that it fits your personality. And just FYI, there are really great people all over that do this. It may take a little bit of time to kind of find them, and it's worth the effort because you need to have somebody that you trust, especially as you're starting out, and can kind of help you through that process. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll never forget one of my neighbors, super successful Wall Street guy, was on Wall Street for 30 years. And this couple, like four or five years ago, and he just said, Brandon, don't ever try and time the market. Don't ever try and do this by yourself. He's like, even myself, where I did this nine to five all day, every day for 30 years, I can't even time the market. And yeah. it's because you have to be right twice on the buy and the sell. So he just said, look, if I could give you any advice, just use a professional for all things money, that that's their expertise. Because he's like, you have your own expertise, let them do their thing. So um, Dave, thanks for coming on. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, where should they go? Email's the best, just because it helps us stay compliant with our regulations. Sure. And it's just dave at caliberwm.com. Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. For once in a lifetime, you need to never stop improving. The constant focus on individual growth, how will you be financially free? Welcome to the Empower Podcast.